Right, we're in Acts chapter 6 this evening, and we finish off our series, Lord willing, on um, the body of Christ and just the, the church as a functioning as a body. And uh, we read there, thank you for, for that reading this, more, uh, this evening, just in regard really to the, the, uh, the origin of the deacons in the, in, the, uh, in the church. And the last couple of weeks, we looked at Christ as the head of the church and recognizing again that there needs to be an alignment with the body and the head for, for, the, uh, for the body to function at its, um, at its optimal. Then we looked at the offices, um, starting, started last week anyway, the office of the pastor and described that scripturally, looked at all of the titles, looked at all of the, the qualities of the pastor and, and recognized how we ought to uh, pray for, uh, for the, the office of the pastor. And so we're going to look at the, the office of the deacon this evening and then look at the, the membership and and we read there in Acts chapter 6, just the, just the need that arose for, for there to, to be a, an appointment of these men who were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And uh, in other places of Scripture, we won't look at all of them, but in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to so all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. And notice this, he addresses with the bishops and the deacons. So there's that, there's that understanding of those two offices in the, the Word of God. Okay, the English word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means an errand runner, a waiter. Deacons really are spiritual ministers who serve congregations by waiting on them. And uh, we have in our midst our three deacons here tonight, so um, it's not just for them this message, because we understand that, Lord, uh, Lord willing, as the church grows and as time goes on, we are going to have need for further and so we ought to be already looking and thinking about those who perhaps have this gifting, have this calling. Um, others have also stated that the word deacon is a compound Greek word, which means to stir up the dust, right? Meaning that someone is moving so rapidly in their duty that they would kick up the dust behind them. And the picture was those who were errand runners within the Greek marketplace who would run between trades and they would be in, in such a rush between the jobs that they would leave dust behind them as they went about doing their work. And, and that, I think, is an apt description. You know, I mentioned already to you that I've, I grew up in a deacon's home. For a long while, my dad was the only deacon of the church, and I, I observed in his life how busy he was for the Lord. And I was thankful for that because part of that rubbed off on me. And I'm just glad for that. And Glad that, that God has seen it fit to bless us with the deacons that we have. And the, the thought is that they, they went about, these deacons, their service with such diligence that they had no time to loiter. This translated in different ways. It's also translated in the word ministry. In Romans chapter 12, verse 7, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. And so we read earlier already the, the origin of the deacons, but let's, let's look at that again in Acts chapter 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. And we know, uh, as we read through the, the, the early chapters of the book of Acts, that the, the church really did grow. That's not an understatement. We, we understand that multitudes were one to Christ, and there was a, a suddenly a great need in the church. And notice that there arose a murmuring. And sometimes there's a real reason why there's murmuring. All right, there's a very real need. So the people were murmuring. Why? Because the Grecians, their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. 
So there were those who were needy, those who were widows. And if you think about that in the, in the time of the scriptures, really when it came down to it, the widows were the, the neediest in the church. They, they had no other means of surviving, really. And later on in the book of 1 Timothy, the, the Bible prescribes what a, what a, a widow is and, and all of that. But in that day, there was a, a neglect in the daily ministration, the daily needs, the daily taking care of the, the Grecians and their widows. And so what the disciples did, look, look at verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve table. So understand again that, that different parts of the body fulfill different roles. So we already, we already recognize that the primary role of the pastors is to, to feed the church, right? It, to feed the church the word of God. And so they said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and neglect our duty, neglect our office. And not that they didn't want to serve tables, but that was their recognition of their role in the church. And so he says there, and serve tables. So what they did was, wherefore, he says, your brethren, look ye out among you. And notice the characteristic, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. It wasn't just some people who were just sort of not busy. <laughs> some people who you sort of just lay well, they're not doing anything else. Let's make them deacons. <laughs> Let's just appoint them. No, no, these were men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And then they said, whom we may appoint over this business. Okay, so there's this need that needed to be fulfilled in the church. And then they say this, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Again, emphasizing the, the need that they needed to fulfill in their office. And then they make a list there, some familiar to you, no, no doubt. We see Stephen, who later paid for uh, for for, for following the Lord and, and serving, paid with his life. And we see all of these names. And notice in verse 7, and the word of God increased. Isn't that interesting? Hey, listen, when everyone fulfilled their office, when everyone did their bit, it was the word of God that increased. Right? That, that, that's primary. And then notice this, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So there was a, a, a result of each one fulfilling their office as it was meant to. There was a, a, great, a great increase in the Word of God. There was a multiplication of the disciples in Jerusalem. And even a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Even those who were in opposition, really, even they were convinced. Why? Because there was a fulfillment of every office. So understand that, that again, that there's a, it's a very real office. And, you know, when we look at the, the office of the deacon, unlike the office of the pastor, who's pictured and referred to even in the Old Testament, there was explicit mentions of it in Scripture. The office of the deacons, if you think about it, arose from a genuine need in the first century church. There was a genuine need. And so God, in His, in his sovereignty, God, in His... Uh, knowledge of what was needed in the church, understood that, and then later clarified that in, in further letters by Paul. All right, but the origin of, of the, the deacons really came in Acts chapter 6. And I think we understand that. You know, pastors, I know this, I know that the work of the church takes more than one man. I just understand that. And as the church grows, so do the needs. Right? understand, it, was, it wasn't because... 
there was just a neglect. No, we read it in verse 1. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, hey, guess what? The more people, the more problems. The more needs. The, the more that needs to be attended to. And so God understood that. And, and in here, being led, the 12, the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them. It was an appointment. And God runs with that into the, the New Testament church. And so it, the, the church takes more than one man. As the church grows, so do the needs. And, and I want to say that the deacons then are an integral part of the healthy body. They are an integral part. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I mentioned God later clarifies and really affirms their place. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And look at with me verses... 8 down to verse 13. says, likewise, so he just finished speaking about the qualities of the pastor. He says, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they, have used, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So he, he goes and he speaks about the, these, these qualities of, of the deacon. And notice there that he must be grave, right? Notice there. Must be grave, that means to be held in high respect. An understanding within, again, that they were, they were honest, of honest report, full of wisdom and the Holy Ghost. So grave, the Bible says, not double-tongued, which means they're not two-faced. They're not tail-bearers. Then we see that they're not given to much wine. Okay, not given to wine. He's, he's uh, not to be greedy of filthy lucre, not greedy. So he's holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So he's able then to defend the faith, understand what the, the faith is. Uh, he must maintain that pure conscience. He must be, notice here the next thing, and let these also first be proved. Okay, that's, that's interesting. It's in the past tense. That means they've got a track record. Right? They've got a track record of service. They've got a track record of serving faithfully. They've got a track record of being men full of wisdom and the Holy Ghost. These weren't newbies in the faith. Right? They were, they were to be that. They were to be proven. Okay? It's a testimony within the church. He does this prior to his appointment. And again, that's why, you know, I think about the, 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 the health of a body is to, to be able to have officers at hand. You know, we ought to be, we ought to be giving our, our men opportunities to, to be servants, right? Jesus himself said that the servant is the greatest of all, right? It's a high office in God's sight. And so we ought to give, give our men an opportunity to be proven that way. You know, I want to encourage the deacons to look around and to see others with that heart and that gifting and that, that passion to serve. And even at the, a young age, bring them along and help them see the value of serving the, the, the church as an errand runner, as someone who will wait on the church. 
He's got to be blameless, the Bible says. That means having a, a, a testimony without the church that's good. And then he speaks about their, even so must their wives be grave. So considering then that, that they're not to be slanderers, they're to be sober, to be faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Again, that, that faithfulness in marriage, ruling their children and their own houses well. So all of those things are qualities of deacons. But then we understand then that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an order of things, and there's a submission of the deacons. Look at Acts chapter 15. And Acts chapter 15 is a pivotal time in the church's life. There were some decisions that needed to be made. Um, there was a, an issue that had come up doctrinally. And so this, this council was called together. Look at in Acts 15 and verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And anything extra to salvation by grace through faith is not salvation at all, right? So, so there were those who were coming. And again, remember the book of Acts is this massive book of transition between the economy that was predominantly Jewish right, to the Gentile economy now. It was now the moving into the time of the Gentiles. It was a time of the, low, of the church. And so there was still a little bit of, I guess, confusion in the transition. So now they come, and therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, so they, they argued the point of the fact that it's through grace. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders about this question. Notice who's not there, right? It was to the pastors, but it wasn't to the deacons, right? And this, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through the Fenice and Samaria, declaring the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, notice there again, and declared all things that God had done with them, and so they go and they, they're now debating this and, and there's, there's all of this discussion. In verse 13, and after they had held their peace, James, who was the, the senior pastor, so to speak, the one who was heading up the council, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. So he's quoting scripture. And then notice in verse 19, I'm just skipping a bit, Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Notice, again, we, we didn't take verse by verse, you can look at it later, but again, there's, this, there's a missing element there in the decision-making process when it came to doctrine and the things of, it was actually left to the pastors. And what I'm saying is God has a hierarchy a little bit. And he's saying in the governance of the church, the pastors are meant to take that leadership in those decision points. And then really, you know, there's sometimes there's a tradition, especially in our, in our independent Baptist churches of the board of deacons that pastors have to answer to. That's not found in the Bible at all. So we reject that. But we also don't, we don't diminish the office because when the officers all played their part, the Word of God increased, right? 
disciples were added and multiplied to the church, one. Even those who were, we would say, hard cases were one to the, through the gospel when everyone did their bit, when everyone played their part, and there was a submission there of the deacons. And, and again, they, they are to support the pastors with, with physical needs in the church. The, the Bible's clear that they are to support the widows, the fatherless, and the needy within the church. And, and really, all in all, they are to be an, an example of spirit-filled service to the church. And I praise God for that. And I'm thankful for our deacons. I'm thankful that they've been able ministers over the years, and, and I hope they continue. It's been a joy over the last couple of months to work with them and to hear their heart for the church family. And I pray that we will, though, raise up other men into the future who will prove themselves to be able ministers in this office. I want to say that. See, part of a healthy body, again, is the expectation that our officers are well-stocked. Right? Because the reality is this, none of us know. I don't know. I, I, for me, as, as pastor, I've been here for a month. Right? I'm not saying I'm going. Don't get nervous. But, but God, in, in his reasoning, could just simply tell me, simply say it's the end. I, I could, in all reality, I could die tomorrow. But who will rise up? You know, we have to have this mentality that there's got to be this training ground, the church, where we're stocking, we're stocking our church with those who have the potential to be officers of the church. Because we've already recognized that there's some that are critical to the work of, of the body of Christ. And so all of that, we ought to be mindful of. We ought to be discerning. Hey, listen, church, we ought to be looking around and we ought to be spiritual enough to start discerning and starting to see and starting to encourage and whether they're used here or somewhere else or, or they're trained up and maybe God move them along and one day they're going to be a, 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 the pastor or the deacon at another church. Praise God, that's your fruit, by the way. And, and we ought to be mindful of that. And again, that starts with a recognition of what the offices are anyway. All right, so, so we, we've, we've gone and, and talked about that, but what about the membership? You know, uh, maybe you're thinking, well, we got away with it, pastor's done now. Right, but listen, we've seen that, again, Christ is to be the head of the church. He's tasked the pastor to lead and feed the church, and he's given the deacons to support and serve the church. So where does that leave everyone else? Can I remind you, you are the church. Right? So where does that leave you? It's the church in its entirety. As a people, you belong to this local body, this local assembly, and you play a part as well. I think we understand, spiritually speaking, if you're saved and baptized and you agree with, with our statement of faith and our doctrine and you believe God has led you here, then you are a member of the church spiritually. Right? But presently because of the fact that we live in a society where churches have to have some sort of legal status, then to be a legal member of the church, you've got to be interviewed and recommended by the deacons and the pastor and voted in by the church at the next appointed time, legally. At that point, you can serve, you can do all that you can, but you can also vote regarding matters that pertain to the future of the church. That's important. right? So understanding that, again, spiritually, if you're here, you've, you've never become a member legally, hey, serve. Praise God. 
if you agree, you're, you're, you're saved and baptized. And, and, but understand again that there's, again, in our day, we have that legal structure that we've got to meet. Okay, we note that the church has many members. Okay, it's meaning, meaning different parts for individual roles. And, and can I just say something that's pretty obvious? The body cannot exist without the parts, right? Right, we can have all of the other bits. But listen, we're supposed to be all a part. And, and, and yet, there needs to be a careful understanding that there can't be an imbalance of that when we magnify one part over the other. Right? And there was a problem that here. There was a church that had that problem. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and look at verses 14 to 16. And notice here, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Notice that. I would thou wert cold nor hot. I, I, he was saying, I'd rather if you were cold or hot. Don't be in between. Say, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of, thy mouth, of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have no need of... Uh, any, uh, anything, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's going to counsel them to do some things there. But, you know, this church, evidently why they were lukewarm, Laodicea literally means the rights of the people. This was a congregational church that, that you know, everything was run through. There was a lack of leadership. There was a lack of that structure. And Laodicea literally means the rights of the people. This church overemphasized the membership over the headship of Christ and the leadership and the servitude of the officers. And so, again, there was an imbalance, and God said, you make me sick. <laughs> and understanding, though, that there's a balance. And we understand, again, that there was that one that John wrote about, Diotrephes, who loved the preeminence, and God warned about that too. When separate members, whether it's the pastor or the deacons or the membership, have an overemphasis and aren't under the headship of Christ, then there's something wrong in the church, right? And so there needs to be that order of things. There needs to be an understanding that the body works best when all of the parts are functioning and in balance and allowing the other parts to function as well. And so to do that, the membership of the body needs to be active and engaged. And firstly, in this way, we need to support one another. Okay, I'm going to run through this really quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And listen, can I just remind you that the pastor, the deacons, and the membership were the body. All right, we're not the, the pastor and the deacons, and we're not apart from the body. No, we are the body in one. Right, so, so there's, there's an expectation that the body will support itself. And I think we understand there's something wrong with a body that attacks itself. It's sick, right? Um, we could use a ridiculous uh, picture here. Imagine someone sitting there and they're just punching themselves in the head. All right, we would go, okay, we should be concerned about that person, <laughs> right? There's something wrong. And, and you know, the, the, uh, the thing of self-harm, we understand that's wrong. We understand there's something wrong there. But we're supposed to support one another. That means we're supposed to be for each other. 
you know, in a little while we already spoke about this, but we're going to have our ministry market. And, and can I just tell you, ministry market is not a competition, right? One, one, one ministry isn't going to be, you know, overemphasized over the other. And listen, listen, whether you belong to one ministry or not, if one ministry gets the victory, we all get the victory. Right, if, if someone's blessed up here as, as, as the, those who uh, get to sing, go, those who are singing and giving worship to the Lord, if someone is touched out there and someone is, is, is affected by that and we hear a testimony about that, you ought to get just as excited if you were up here or whether you were just sitting there and listening. If someone goes out there and, and we have some outreach and someone gets saved, hey, listen, we ought to shout amen to that. And when we go about and we see that the others are edified through the work of a ministry that we don't have direct involvement with, hey, listen, there ought not to be a jealousy in our hearts. There ought to be a joyfulness about that because we're one body. We're supposed to have one care, one for another. Listen, there ought not to be this mentality, oh, well, we're only getting this and we're only getting that. Listen, we're all one. And we ought to rejoice. We ought to rejoice. Sometimes we have this myopic view of ministry. We are too competitive. And parts of, parts of the Christian life is competitive. We know that in the spiritual battle. But listen, not in the church. What we're supposed to support one another. And when was the last time you just rejoiced at the fact that one ministry got a, a great victory? You know, if there's a report here by Southern Baptist Press or there's a report here about the Good Shepherd Christian School, or there's a support here about uh, some other ministry that's, that we get to be part of, listen, we ought to rejoice and we ought to praise God and we ought to give Him the glory anyway because it's not about us, right? So we ought to support one another. That means when others are hurting, we ought to hurt. That means when there's a concern that we ought to be concerned, we ought to, we ought to minister to that part of the body. You see, in Ephesians chapter 4, we won't take the time for sake of time, but we're meant to mature as it supports, as we support one another. We do this by, again, knowing how to relate to each specific part. And, you know, the body and the head, again, that we're meant to be aligned. We're meant to be exalting and lift, lift, lifting up our head. The, the body and the office, we're to, supposed to remember the offices are de designed and gifted to help the body. They're also able to be part of the body. We're to hold them up as we uh, think about them in prayer, as they pray for us. We ought to care physically for the offices as they care for, uh, for you spiritually. We're to honor that. And when we support and encourage each other, then the body is healthy. But then the body with the body, we're support, supposed to support one another. You know, we also do that through spiritual gifts. Look at quickly 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and notice verses 4 to 11. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And nations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Notice it's to profit with all. He's saying, I've given spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts, we won't take the time, they're also listed in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. But each and every one of us at the point of salvation, God has given us a spiritual gifting for the usage of that to edify the body. Right? It's meant not to be just exercised. It's meant to be exercised for the profiting of the body. All right, that's why he says later on in chapter 14 and verse 12, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. 
He's saying the thing that you're supposed to excel in is not the fact that you're just going to exercise the spiritual gift. No, you're going to exercise it so that it affects and it, it helps and it profits and it edifies the body, the church. In verse 26 of that same chapter, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. He's saying, don't make it a mess. Just, just, just use it with this motive and this thought in mind. Build each other up with your spiritual gifts. Okay, that's the whole point of your spiritual gifts. We're supposed to service be of service to one another. In chapter 12, again, look, skip down to verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now are you the body of Christ and members in particular. And the point he's trying to make is this, we're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to be, in our, in our working together, supposed to serve. Galatians 5.13, again, by love serve one another. In Galatians 6.2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In Galatians 6.10, as ye have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That's us, church. And then he says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the, the key to true service to one another is actually the way of charity. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... And have not charity, I have become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I, I could uh, move, remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, notice this, it profiteth me nothing. Hey, listen, church, you know, the way we're going to serve one another is to have charity one toward each other. You know what charity is? Charity is, is love in action, but it's more than that. It's love in motion. It's a growing love. You know, when you study charity, it's the most mature fruit that you can attain. It's, it's, it's mature love. It's a maturing love. And that's what, well, that's what we're supposed to be. We're not just to enact love. We're supposed to be growing in our love one for another. And so that's, that's the key to service the body. But really, as we spoke about a little bit already this morning, we're to share our faith. All right, look at Acts chapter 11. And we'll be nearly done. Acts chapter 11. And the apostles and brethren, in verse 1, that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So this is, we, we already read earlier, Acts 15, but, and when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were, were of the circumcision contended with, with him, the Jews, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Now he already had that vision. The thing that I call clean, don't call unclean. And he, he goes and look at verses 17 to 20. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, 
who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, was what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the words to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And you know, the early church had this issue of who to speak to. You know, some they only wanted to speak to the Jews. Some they, they just by really by the fact that they were just witnessing others overheard. I remember one time we were on a train and I was chatting with this fella about the gospel. And I was just sitting there with him. You know, I, I love, I used to love public transport when I didn't have a car. But I used to sit there and it used to just be an opportunity to witness. I would sit across someone and if you know Sydney trains, if you get a seat, you better grab it, right? So I sat there and, you know, captive audience, right? So I began to speak with him and I was talking to this fella and he didn't get saved. But then as I was getting off the train, this younger man who was sitting diagonally opposite to us, he had been listening. And he came and he came off the train and there at the train station, I led him to Christ. You know, it was just like secondhand news, but it's still good news. And listen, the, the Jews, they went about, and those who had that background, they just wanted to witness to the Jews, but God, God just had other plans. He, he wanted to graft in the Gentiles. And by the way, if you're, if you're not Jew, that's you. <laughs> that's all of us. And listen, God, God had it that, that the church was to be a conglomerate of all of these, and listen, we're supposed to share our faith. Hey, isn't that, wasn't that the result when all of the body was functioning together right there that we read in Acts chapter 6, that others were made disciples? There was an addition to the church. And as all bodies do, they mature and they grow. And so we're supposed to do that. I love what Jack Hiles said years ago. He said, share the gospel all the time, sometimes, and sometimes all the time. You know, we're supposed to go about and, and use every opportunity uh, we're supposed to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so we're to be a testimony of the power of the gospel. He says, let your light so shine before men. He says in Ephesians chapter 3 that, that really, look with me in the last place we'll turn. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 15 to 21. Okay, verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with a might by his Spirit and the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory, notice this, in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. You know, if we are all of that, you know who gets the glory in the church? Christ. You know what the church is meant to be? The church is meant to be a testimony of the, the power of God through the gospel. Listen, you look around. You look around and we could survey this church. We could survey our church family and we could recognize all of the different backgrounds. 
We can, we can, we can, we can find a wall somewhere and trace who led who. And you know what we're going to find? Diversity. You know what we're going to find? There's no, no other common tread, thread but the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's a joy. Because one day, all the family, of the, all the family will be named under his name. And there's a diversity, but listen, someone had to tell. You know, as a body, you know, there's health. If we're able to, we're able to then produce fruit. All right, we're to be ambassadors of Christ. And I want to say that really, to finish off, the body, it's a wonderful thing to behold. Right? When it's functioning correctly, then it can achieve a great deal of good. That's the church. Okay? When we all give each other, the, each part, the liberty, okay, with understanding, scriptural, to fulfill our designated roles, then we become a living, breathing specimen of God's power. And the key, though, is to surrender ourselves to the head. We need to be willing and submitted in that part that God has given us. And, and you know, you, you, ought to, you ought to look at what part God has given you to play. And then you ought to rejoice in that, and then you ought to just say, Lord, use me in the role that you've called me to be. Use me in the body. Use me to edify the saints. Use me to, to be a witness for you. Use me to be a blessing to the other parts of the body because you've called us to be one, serving you, giving you all the praise and glory, making sure that we're a testimony to this generation of the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for the, Lord, the great truth of, Lord, the church as a body, and Lord, as we've observed, all of us play a, a great part. Lord, all of us have a calling that you've, you've given us, Lord, you've set every member in place. And Father, we recognize, dear Lord, that as a church, we have the, the, the calling, Lord, to reach our community, to reach this world, and Father, to testify of you to all, of your glory, of your power, of your honor, and your majesty. And we come before you, Lord, asking that you would please help us to fulfill that. Lord, I pray that you would help every member here just, just understand as, go, as we go through the week that we're still the church. Lord, we're not just the church here. We're not just the church when we assemble. We're the church out there. So help us, dear God, to be the testimony that we need to be. Help us, Lord, then to commit as we surrender ourselves to the head, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We, we ask that you would please help us as we go into the week. Help us, dear God, to just honor you in everything that we say and do. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name.